Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today we're talking about the TV show Warrior and the concept of organized crime and what happens when it fulfills social needs for communities that are otherwise excluded. All this and more after commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. My name is Matthew. I'm your host. And joining me is recurring guest. He's very much not a host. Don't tell him that he's a host. Uh, Paul Hoppy, who is 100% responsible for this episode we're doing today. Paul got me into the show Warrior. I was not really excited about it and then fell in love with it entirely. It's an awesome show. We're probably going to be talking about it a bunch. Uh, so, Paul, how are you feeling about having, uh, once again, uh, had massive effect on my viewing time, this podcast, and what we're talking about today? <laughs> yes. The math checks <laughs> out. Uh, I mean, 100% responsible for getting you to watch Warrior and then in order to podcast about it. I think the mafia angle is kind of um, more an angle that you pointed out. I think it's an excellent mm-hmm. one. There's so much to talk about with this show. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I do think it can be a difficult watch at times, yeah. but other times it can, it's also like, I don't know. It's this combination of kind of some sort of light and fluffy, you know, like popcorn action and then just, just brutal, awful stuff that is at least somewhat historically accurate. For sure. And for people who haven't seen the show The Warrior, um, we're, we're using it, we're going to be talking primarily about that show, but we're also using it as a jumping off point to talk about something that I think comes up in a lot of different media, both superhero and otherwise. The idea of, you know, the organized crime organization that our heroes are often part of, where they're doing some things that are, you know, gray or outside the law, and sometimes they're doing stuff that's just morally terrible, but they're also doing it to, you know, be part of or to help a community that's often excluded. You know, you can go back to Godfather. This shows this of, you know, how Don Corleone was doing things to help, you know, Italians who kind of got shut out because of anti-Italian and anti-Catholic sentiments and stuff like that. And obviously the problems that started. So even we're going to try and like bring you up to speed. But even if you haven't seen Warrior, uh, you can pause it and uh, pause this. Go watch it. It's only three seasons. So you'll be back in 26, 27 hours. Um, but, you know, because I think it's a great show and we probably will have some spoilers uh, that will there's a couple of major, major events that we'll avoid getting into. But also, um, but if you haven't seen it, we want to kind of make sure this podcast is one you can follow along. So with that, Paul, uh, now that you've had zero preparation, I haven't told you I want you to do this. Can you, in two minutes, give us a summary of what Warrior's about? I can. It's a series set in 1880s San Francisco, pre- predominantly in Chinatown, um, conceived of by Bruce Lee, and his concept was then probably ripped off, ripped off to make the uh, the TV show Kung Fu. And it's kind of, I mean, I would call it a bit of a mashup of like The Wire, Deadwood. Um, it doesn't have quite the depth of The Wire in terms of having all the different factions, but it has a number of different factions. You know, a bunch of cops, most of whom are Irish, then a bunch of Irish working men. And then the more protagonist-y characters, I'd say, are... Um, you know, the Chinese, mostly Chinese immigrants to the United States. Some are um, American born. And mm-hmm. like, it basically, if you took shows like that, and then you just inserted a Kung Fu sequence every 15 minutes, and not just Kung Fu, there's there's other manner of violence as well. Uh, it's extremely graphic in terms of the violence and the sexuality and they portray racism and to a lesser extent sexism as uh you know befits the period um which i often find very very hard to watch but um there are all these dynamics of the you know the different tongs which are basically like mafia groups um and again historically you know that that was a thing it was a you know the tong wars were a thing from around this time period till like I think the 1940s or something. I um, think that's correct, yeah. But yeah, it it basically is a, a show about you know um, Chinatown in 1880s San Francisco, and that's a setting that I don't feel we've seen very much of like ever. Right. And and tell us a little about our hero and kind of the role, the the journey he goes on in terms of like joining one of these tongs. Right. So. Um, the sort of most protagonist character is, um, a a warrior named Assam who comes, uh, uh, you know, across the salt, as they say, um, from, from China to, 
San Francisco trying to, you know, some spoilers, obviously, for the show, right? Um, but he's, like, coming, trying to find his sister, basically, and then he gets inducted into a tong, basically, or literally sold into it, and physically branded, and then it's like, now he's in a tong, and he's a gangster. Um, right. And I guess one point that, that I should make about the show is that they, you know, all the Chinese-speaking characters speak a little bit of Cantonese, and then they kind of, like, pan around in Red October style, um, Hunt for Red October style, and they show them speaking in just, like, straight-up, like, gangster English, like, right. kind of, like, modern-day, you know, Tarantino or, you know, Pelleggi or Coppola, like, like gangsters, you know? Um, and, and for anyone who's wondering why he made the reference to an, a somewhat obscure 1980s movie on a Tom Clancy novel, that's actually the writers and the, the director of the show specifically said they used Hunt for October as the inspiration for how they did the language stuff. Right, exactly. Uh, but then they don't have them. I think in Hunt for Red October, they have them speaking in, in like Russian accents, right? Right. Yeah. And here they don't. Yeah. And, and I think it's very deliberate here because they want these to be the characters that you relate to very, very directly, very easily. Like, oh, I've seen gangsters. Like, I I can relate to, you know, these people are, are speaking the English that I might speak if I was, like, trying to sound tough or something. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, the most of the white characters are speaking this kind of, like, oh, you know, sort of fancy-dancy or, or, like, you know, with, with somewhat of an Irish accent. Um, right. So I think it kind of centers the viewer around these characters. And... Um, and particularly Assam, who who also speaks English fluently because he's like part. Um, I, I think his grandfather or something was American. Yeah, he, he had a, a Ameri- He was the, the the grandchild of an American missionary who helped raise him, and so that's kind of where he got the English language from. Right. And as I said, we're going to do a couple of episodes on this. Um, there's definitely an episode we're going to do at a later point about immigration and boundaries and borders and language and all that. And, and racism and how it's treated in this show, as well as kind of uh, linking it to Falcon the Winter Soldier and, and the Flag Smashers and all their ideas about borders and internationalism. Um, it's a very important topic that we're kind of having trouble getting our hands around, so we haven't done that episode yet. But I also want to say we got a great piece of feedback that asked a really hard question about uh, this show, and we're going to discuss that feedback on that next episode we do about Warrior. So just kind of put that out there. Um and and so in terms of Assam's story itself, I, I think the real keys are, and here Paul, fill me in on things that I miss, in his story and in the story of kind of the Tong that he's a part of and its war with the other Tongs, we wind up getting a lot of these same kind of beats that you often find in movies about like the mafia, the organized crime, that where it feels like it's part of the family, you know, it's part mm-hmm. of the community, you know, where that we, we see them like taking care of community needs. We see them in part... Uh, in large part, really, because there's so much racism against the the Chinese population at that time, specifically from the the Irish working class, and like the dynamics there in terms of class and race are so well done. Um, but but the point being that like you know, the Tongs are helping people get jobs. The Tongs are helping make sure people get supplies they need. The Tongs are at times like helping grease the wheels to get to get things done when when they need to get done, and to some extent are keeping the peace. Uh, but then, of course, and, and then <laughs> yeah. in kind of the cliches that happen, I think, but are very important because they're very true, um, you know, but but then the, the real questions arise of like when, OK, but then when the Tongs go to war and all the kind of like people they're supposed to be protecting are getting hurt and killed in the middle, you know, it raises all those kind of questions. Yeah. So I think that's why I, I really like that that way of looking at the show, because it's it, it's such an interesting way of saying like both in this specific situation, but also larger, like what are the moral choices there of you know, being part of an organization that is providing services for a community that can't get them from the places they should be able to get them, but that there's also a lot of problems and and collateral damage associated with that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in the very beginning of the show, we see some Irish working men, um, which is actually the name of the political party later, I believe. Yeah, um, which, which is a, a legit thing. That was a, a, a they were a real political party, right? Exactly, and and their leader is kind of based on a, on a historical figure, I believe. Um, but we see them murdering, go, I believe, going into Chinatown and murdering some some Chinese uh, people. Like I think just random people. They're just like we're, just, you know, which yeah. um, it, it's a pogrom basically, right? And and um, which which tragically is still fucking happening today but um they you know i mean not in exactly the same way but 
uh, I'm sorry, I got a little distracted. <laughs> um, they then the police are like, oh, we need to start a Chinatown squad because like not not because they're like we need to protect Chinese people in Chinatown. They're just like we can't take the PR you know hit or whatever of right. Um, oh, and of of like having you know we we don't want people at large to see this violence right and and the the um the conflict between the irish and the chinese is um not just like a random like just bigotry and racism that's an aspect of it of course but there's also an economic factor which is that you have this handful of extraordinarily wealthy people who were paying, you know, the Irish probably quite low and exploitative wages. And then we're like, oh, we can pay the Chinese even lower and more exploitative wages. So instead of everybody ganging up on the people with the power, they, you know, end up. Um, yeah, it's, it's really a great exploration of how that kind of class breakdown and how, you know, <clears throat> wealth can be very good at turning one kind of low class group against another instead of them being able to both see the, the, the common enemy that, that that's oppressing them both. Yeah. And, and so let's just kind of pull the lens back for a second. For you, when you think of organized crime and uh, mafia stuff, especially in like TV and movies, what what do you think of? Like, what are the elements that go into that for you? Well, I mean, it it depends on the context but when there are shows or movies that are focused on you know the the sort of mafia organizations i think it's very different from when it's like a crime show that happens to have you know some often very stereotypical portrayal right but i i do think there's this element of being kind of a a pillar in the community right like being a big part of a community that is marginalized that is oppressed that doesn't necessarily have substantial police protection right like in the context of this show the police protection isn't for the benefit of the chinese the police protection is for the benefit of optics really as much as anything Right. right and so I think that's often the case where you, you know, you just, you don't have, and not that police are necessarily the solution to anything, but, (laughs) um, and, and not that the mafia or the tongs are a a much better solution either. But, you know, when you have conflict, you often are going to have someone attempting to mediate it or attempting to offer or maybe sell protection, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, it's like when someone's, you know, a protection racket is like, well, it can be, I'm going to protect you from some other group, but like, I'm also protecting you from my group. Like it can be more of a shakedown kind of thing. Um, right. And overall, I just, I, I feel like it often is this very complicated and nuanced um, to just hit an example briefly, like Narcos, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, Pablo Escobar did a lot of great things for a lot of people, also murdered a lot of other people. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you can have whatever opinion you want on the actual drugs themselves, but just in terms of within the context of the legality or illegality, um, you know, killed a lot of people really mm-hmm. fucked up, but also yeah. used some of the absurd amount of money that he got to help specifically, you know, the communities he'd grown up in. Um, right. And I think that's to me, that's what is the difference between like sort of a, a mafia feel and, you know, the, 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 there's this, like, sort of identity and this, this sort of group pride and support compared to just, like, you know, random crime boss. Right. Yeah, I think that's so true. And I think Narcos is a great example of this. I think the movie The Godfather, even more so the book, uh, but the movie, if you kind of look at it right, you, you'll see, like, there's a lot of instances of, you know, the Italian soldiers who are prisoners of war and need help getting, like, a job or... Uh, you know, people who have been denied justice by mm-hmm. the, the justice system because they don't see the the, the attack and violation of an Italian girl meaning as much as it should next to the future of two, you know, waspy Protestant men. Uh, again, stories that have no relevance to our world today. <laughs> two, two Brock Turners. Um, I mean, and even tying it more closely to the kind of stuff we often talk about, Luke Cage, I think, is a, a really interesting example because you see, uh, again, here's spoilers for Luke Cage, you know, he's kind of going up against a lot of the Harlem crime boss worlds and part of what he discovers is that they're they're doing terrible things, they're doing awful things, they're really hurting the communities they're a part of, but there's also a lot of social services that they're providing right. and, like, community benefit that they're providing to communities that are completely ignored. 
to the point where, and, and you can argue about Luke's choice in this, by the end of the second season, he basically decides he has to be one of those crime bosses because the, the Harlem needs it to some extent. Right. Uh, a third season would have been very You never got a third season. Oh, my goodness. So what he would do with that. Right. Um, That's yeah, an interesting I think you story. kind of covered a lot of the, the, the parts of uh, what what kind of the criminal organizations like this mean and what, what, what kind of choices they face. Um, and to me, I think I would just kind of add, like you mentioned briefly, but to me, I think the group identity and pride is a huge, huge part. And that's something Warrior really does go into, you know, that especially for where it's communities that are outsiders and are really not being let in and are being reminded like every day, like, you know, you're not American, you're not New Yorker, you're not one of us, that those things can become so important. Yeah. Um, so thanks for making me realize how much I am missing having a third season of Luke Cage. I kind of <laughs> hadn't felt like that was one of the biggest losses, but it really is. Yeah, uh, you're <laughs> now I'm like, oh, that, yeah, oh, that would be an interesting story. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good story. Um, but, but yeah, there, there's, um, I, in, uh, in, in Warrior, there's one character, uh, Mai Ling, who takes over one of the Tongs and, um, she ends up like doing a lot more of this kind of stuff. Right. And some people are kind of like, you know, do we, do we really need to do that much in this regard? And, um, I, I think I would, I would like to see a lot more of that in the story, honestly, right. like more of the, um, the characters who aren't part of the tongs or p- part of the, you know, the broader organized crime aspect of Chinatown. I understand, mm-hmm. like, it's a series that's only going to have a scope that it does. Like, a show like The Wire, I think very shrewdly kind of introduced one segment of of Baltimore at a time, right? And then, like, kind of kept adding one more whole cast, one more whole group of people each season. Uh, Warrior kind of tries to do everything all at once, and I I think sometimes it suffers from it a little bit. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but, I mean, it does such a great job at a lot of other things. But, like, developing more of the... um, more of the setting that isn't just the, the organized crime, I think, would be beneficial. Because one thing that I think happens in a lot of these mafia stories... Uh, you know, like in, in this story, a bunch of people think that, you know, the Chinese are like all very, you know, that, that all this crime is like a big part of, of Chinatown and like it is, but we're not shown, you know, the other 90, whatever percent of, of the Chinese in Chinatown who aren't part of a Tong, right. Or 95% or 99% or whatever. Um, we don't have any sense of what that percentage might be. Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, we're like, okay, so there's like four characters who aren't involved in the organized crime, and then there's like about 96 who are, so... (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny, because at first, I I was bothered by that as well, and in some extent I am, I I would like to see more of that in the show. But I think actually, and I don't know if this is intentional or not by the writers, because it's fairly subtle, but I, I think the more I thought about it, especially in regard to this issue, the more I loved it, because I Mm. think... One of the things that I think is often a very big, like, ethical question is, you know, to what extent are you helping or are you hurting the community that you're trying sure. to protect? And, you know, in terms of, like you said, like, you know, like the, the optics versus the helping versus the, like, are you giving in to more stereotypes or should that matter? Or right. All these kind of things. And I think one of the things that often happens in these movies uh, and as well as in the real situations is, you know, whether it's the Tong or the gang or the mafia or, you know, the um, cartel or whatever it is is that they will decide they're doing what's best for the people, but not have much interaction to make sure right. that they actually are doing what's best for the people or that people actually want it or not. Right. And so in some ways, like, I wish we, the audience, had gotten to see more of the people who are outside the tongs in Chinatown, like, having those discussions of, like, is it good to have the tongs because they protect us, or is it bad because they're stopping us from being welcomed in? But I also think it's kind of brilliant that we don't, because the highlights that our main characters don't. Well, that's a really our main good characters point. don't seek those people out. Our main characters only spend time, you know, when they're with the Tongs, they spend time with people outside of Chinatown, but they don't spend time with the people who, like, in theory, they're helping. Yeah. And, and to me, that's actually kind of a brilliant point of kind of illustrating, like, they're deciding what's best and what's needed for this community, and there's very real needs that they're they're serving. 
Um, but that they're not really having that conversation about, like, are they actually doing good for the people they're claiming to help? Right. There's this disconnect. There's, like, you know, I mean, they can view themselves as, like, a warrior for for their tongue, but also, you know, for their, you know, broader people, um, particularly when, you know, maybe Chinatown gets invaded. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but there's you said not... that as an aside, but I wanted to kind of highlight that because I think it's a it is a very important part of the the show. Here, this is going to be somewhat of a big spoiler, so skip ahead if you Massive want. Massive spoiler, but yes, but totally. There's important. like four episodes of building up to it. Um, towards the end of season two, there is basically a full on pogrom where a large bunch of people come into Chinatown, intent on hurting people and breaking businesses and like doing like real damage and killing people. Again, real events that happened. And the gangs, the, the Tongs kind of come together to fight back them. Uh, yeah. That's, I think, a clear moment where you're like, yeah, if, if, if these groups didn't exist, like, far more people would have died, mm-hmm. far more homes would have been destroyed, far more businesses would have been destroyed. So there is at least that clear moment of, like, they ap- these were absolutely needed in that moment. Right. Where That's where they're actually showing, you know, the, the fighting skills as being um of service you know put to service of the community right and they're like we're not going to fight each other right now we're going to fight them off and then we'll we'll deal with our shit afterwards um but yeah i think you know i was thinking about i'm like yeah you're right like who does assam talk to besides like i mean he spends all of his time you know with the tong or like at a brothel or like with this one white lady in (laughs) In, in the, you know, um, in the pond, I guess. Um, yeah. So, like, you know, he doesn't... And we do see briefly um, when he's sort of, you know, um, excommunicated from, from his tongue for a while that he, he... We do see him interacting with, you know, a, a laborer, right? Right. And we get a brief insight into how horrible the conditions, you know, were... And I think that gives us important perspective, but we're not really left to to linger there. And we see right. that he's had now he's had this experience and it sort of it informs his perspective, but it's not really an extensive um, experience. And it's it's not one that he chooses to stay with. Right. He, his reaction is because it comes at a time where he's like really questioning, like, should he be a warrior? Right. And his decision is like, I don't want to live this labor life. I want to be a warrior. It's not and I'm not saying that this is a fault of his, but but it's you know, you could see it as he finally gets that perspective outside the tongue and it changes him. Right. Instead, it's like, no, I don't want to be one of those people. I want to be one of the people who helps them. Right. Um, exactly. I think makes total sense. But I think, again, raises some like part of why I love the show is that Assam is not a perfect character. He's not. Oh, yeah. All the characters are, I don't want to say morally flawed, because I think what the show portrays is that it is people in very difficult, very broken moral situations where terrible things are being done to them, and there's not really a good option. And so we can be like, yeah, they they made some terrible choices, but also like there's not like, you know, this clear moral road of like, here's what Captain America would do in this situation. I mean, go to Nevada and build a saloon, right? Well, yeah, that's... <laughs> that's <laughs> no, but I, I completely agree with you. Totally, totally. There's... Yeah, it's it's people in, like, no-win situations, basically, or certainly no clear, you know, emotionally clear, um, yeah. morally clear, whatever kind of course of action. It's like, well, do you want to do this bad thing, this worse thing, or this maybe badder thing that also has some good benefits like yeah and and that's one thing i do find interesting about warrior and maybe it's just because of the timeline that they're talking about they haven't gotten to show this yet or maybe it's a conscious choice in a lot of these stories and, and there's some truth to this i think part of the story that gets told is that the the mafia the uh gang the the, the whatever it is is a temporary thing Mm-hmm. And that the goal is always, you know, like, you know, Don Corleone wants his grandkids to be able to be legitimate, you know, and and a lot of the struggles in the Godfather movie as well as in a lot of these other movies is like, you know, right now we need this mafia because society completely rejects us. Right. How can we get to a point where we are welcomed in a society and we no longer need this? Mm-hmm. And then there are all the tensions that come out with the people who are like, well, 
wait a minute, my job is to to bust heads for protection. What do you mean right. you don't need me anymore? Right. Um, and, and there's all the tensions that go there. But there's that there's often that kind of generational hope of like we can win assimilation through you know on all the moral questions that surround assimilation, of course. Or and not even I, assimilation, I but just like acceptance. About, maybe. Too. Wait, what'd you say? Said may, maybe not assimilation, but like acceptance. Yeah, I think that's a better term for sure. As well as, and I think I think it's maybe significant to the fact that there we're talking about, you know, Italians were certainly not considered as white as wasps, uh, you know, as, as white Italians from Protestants, but were able to be welcomed into white society eventually, as were the Irish, as were uh, other communities in a way that maybe the Chinese in the time of the show are never going to be. But it, so maybe that's why it's not at all part of the discussion. But I do think it's interesting that like we don't see any, we, we do have a young son of a leader of one of the tongs but i like, i didn't really get a sense that there was a hope that like he could be a legitimate businessman one day or that anyone else is having that sense of like i'm part of the tong because i want my grandkids to be able to you know be part of the society that 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 element of what often is in the mob movie i don't see in this at all do you i do but not not with young june who you know father june is his dad that's you know mm-hmm. the characters you're just referring to um for the audience at home um <laughs> uh i i would say with with my ling there's there's an element of that not so much like she's like for my children or anything but mm-hmm. she has this sort of like you know trying to help the community but also i think maybe her long game is more towards going legit but you know that's that's not a strong theme there. It's more about just kind of trying to help and like be a community leader. Whereas I, I think with um, with young June and, and you know F- Father June doesn't seem to have any you know oh young June's gonna take over and then we're gradually you know gradually gonna go into like different more legit businesses. Right. Uh, it it seems more like. You know, I got here, I was treated like shit, everyone who looks like me was treated like shit, and so I started to gather power so that I wouldn't be treated like shit, and I would be able to have the people around me, you know, be treated, I mean, yeah, maybe I'll whack them with a stick when I feel like it, but like, (laughs) you know, uh, they will go out on the street and they'll get respect. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way of putting it. And like one thing I'm I'm thinking about, and I keep using The Godfather as the example, but I think this is true in a lot of other movies about that, is that in The Godfather especially is often talk about how America is the land of opportunity mm-hmm. and that, you know, they have to be part of these crime families now, but that eventually they want their kids, their grandkids to be part of, you know, the great American opportunity. And I don't think there's any of that in Warrior. I don't think there's any sense of like America is this great place that our grandkids can do great things in. Um, that there's a real sense of like, you know, having had to leave China and, and, and to some extent, some people who had better ideas of what America would be that have proven to be very false and, and are very angry about that. But I think, and, and both because I think this is being told more in the modern day, but also because it's about, uh, a non-white community. To me, that feels very real, you know, that it's not about mm. that. Like, well, we're here, we're trying to live the American dream and we just have to do this tough stuff for a generation or two. I... I don't totally agree with that. I I do feel like there is, um, you know, a, a notion of like, oh, well, you're here now and it's not what you thought it would be. But I, I, I do think that the vast majority came over because they thought, oh, I'll go there and I'll make some, you know what? Okay, so I agree, but sort of. So yeah. I think the majority came over and were like, I'm going to go over, I'm going to work, you know, X number of years or whatever. And then I'm going to bring that money back home to my family. Um, I, there is a sense of like amongst a lot of characters, I think the idea of, you know, being there for a while, not like coming to America to, to live in America permanently, um, but more kind of like traveling for work. Yeah. Um, but then it turns out that the wages and the pay aren't really sufficient to ever get back, you know, and it's basically... Yeah. Um, but meanwhile, though, I think some people probably are sending money home and stuff, um, right. you know, and early on it's lampshaded. It's like, oh, how's, you know, how's China? And Assam's like, oh, the usual, you know, famines, revolutions, um, <laughs> you know, and, and often that is why, why people move from one place to another, right? Is, um, you know, I mean, here in California, this is what, about 30 years after the gold rush, but the gold rush is what started bringing people to California, right? In, right. in, on Mass. Um, 
And yeah, so I, I think we're kind of agreeing. You're actually adding some really important nuance and depth to what I was saying because I, I certainly think a lot of people. I think there are some in the show who came over with that hope that they could become part of the great American dream or whatever it is. Yeah. It's just, and, and, and then there's others who you're right. The attempt was never to eventually be part of American society. You know, Don Corleone wants his grandchildren to be senators. He wants them to right. be the big people in America. And I don't think anyone in this show wants that. They either maybe wanted that and then realized it's never possible. Or just, they came over, like you said, wanting to be able to support back home. Right. Yeah, and, and I think it's an important difference, you know. I mean, that said, like, I don't think Don Corleone, like, started doing what he did, like, because he was like, oh, you know what? Uh, if I unscrew this light bulb and then shoot this guy with a pillow in front of this gun, like, <laughs> uh, maybe my grandkids will be senators, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was much more just, like, dealing with what was in front of him, and then over time being like, oh, we can build this and, you know, build right. power and then legitimize um, and I mean, it was Michael who I think made the really strong push to to move towards um, you know legitimate businesses, but uh, you know he kept yeah, trying to get out, but they um, they kept pulling him back in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that's also kind of yeah, actually you're 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 lifting up uh, an even more important dynamic that I think comes up in a lot of these stories, which is where because you know spoilers for The Godfather, if you don't mind spoiling <laughs> something that is more than forty years old. Um, <laughs> You know, one of the key elements there is that it's Michael who starts to do, like, he goes to an America, he goes to Dartmouth, he joins the military. All these things that his father, the original Don Corleone, like, no, no, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. You should be part of. And I think that kind of really highlights the tension of the, like, the dream might be, like, acceptance or even some versions of assimilation for some people. But then there's also a, like, I think it's kind of the next thing I want to get into with the show of, like, where, where the sort of sense of isolation becomes is very, very much imposed from outside, mm-hmm. but also becomes self-fulfilling. Right. Um, and I, I again, I think it, it's it's hard to compare mafia, to compare the Italian mafia and the Chinese tongs because of how differently they're treated by by the Uber society. Yeah. But, but I'm curious, kind of your thoughts on that. Of like, do you see like what what role do you see the tongs play in kind of like reinforcing the idea of like any attempt to kind of become part of the larger American society is just hopeless and pointless and not worth it? That's a good question. I mean, I, I do think it it reinforces that notion, you know, and it's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, um, you know, Assam, like, probably wouldn't have stayed. He probably would have moved somewhere else, right, if he hadn't been literally branded right. um, as, as part of the, you know, a Tong. And... We're given briefly in episode five, like the the best episode uh, of season so one. Um, we're we're given sort of a look at like, hey, it doesn't have to be this way, you know. Like, yeah, you'll still deal with with racism and a lot of bullshit, and you won't be accepted by everyone. But there are places you can go. And carve out your own life on your own terms. Right. You know, um, it's not presented as easy. You know, it's um, the you know the 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 character who who does this it, like he's like look at my hands. You know, like basically like look at what I had to go through. But like, but I've built this, and and um, and this is the life that I chose. And so that that's kind of it's like a little momentary sort of like hopeful each season kind of has this sort of hopeful uh adventure where it's like yeah things could be different you know mm-hmm. um and actually i think those episodes might be the most like bruce lee's original concept for this kind of more of a wandering character yeah i mean certainly the the kung fu kung fu the david caradine mm-hmm. show that is i think quite likely was ripped off from that it is very much that kind of like the wandering guy who goes from town to town solving yeah. problems so that would make sense if that that part's more sort of the, the closest thing to Bruce Lee's original vision, right? Um, and and I mean, I would watch the shit out of that show, yeah. <laughs> too, you know, with, with like I don't know, an Asian actor playing an Asian character instead of like David Carradine, but yeah. um, uh, but yeah, it, it's it's um. You know, there's definitely, we're shown the possibility that things can be different, but I don't think we have a sense that most of the characters really believe that. Um, And then actually there's a totally separate storyline, right? Where 
um, that takes that takes place in Sonoma County, where I am currently sitting, um, mm. where a, a bunch of people are sort of are, are rescued. I don't know how much we want to get into the details, but I, I think that's kind of a separate thing. I think we can mention we can briefly mention at least that there's a um, uh, sex work and, and brothels are a very big part of the show. And I will say it, it is very there's a lot about the show that's very much in the Game of Thrones. Like there's a number of exposition scenes that take place in brothels with naked mm-hmm. women wandering in and out of the camera lens. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's you know, it, it has some of those issues. But but I think one of the most interesting storylines is there's a whole thing about like what 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 can empowered sex work look like in that kind of a thing of like mm-hmm. the, a, a woman owned a brothel and, and, and what that looks like. But then also a, a subplot of someone else who is trying to sort of rescue women from the what is probably the overwhelming majority of sex work situations in this particular world that are 100 percent you know trafficking and abusive and totally non-consensual. And so, yeah, there's an attempt to kind of like get some of those often literal girls out of those situations and into this kind of like, um, yeah, I guess you call it, it's basically like a, a winery farm uh retreat that's being used that where like these go- girls can escape and kind of have lives of their own yeah and and i feel like that actually just the presence of that and the fact that that's known about um makes the you know the the women in the one brothel have a lot more agency yeah because they are actually presented with a like look you can leave and there's a place you can go and you know be fine and they're like no i'll I'll stay here and you know of course they it's not like they went on like a tour and they're like oh uh no i'll pass you know um i mean if if you if you come to sonoma county you're probably not going back but (laughs) (laughs) it's really nice here um although it's pretty freaking hot now but anyway um it's like it you know there's definitely some amount of of like contrast shown right or or a lot of contrast shown between between the different situations um and we are presented with a like look you don't necessarily have to um like be in a tongue to have any agency you don't necessarily have to stay in chinatown if you're chinese but it's very difficult to do to do otherwise um one of the most interesting characters, I think, and I'm pretty sure you've said one of your favorites and certainly one of my favorites, is a character who's kind of like very much immersed in the sort of underworld criminal world, but also is very much not connected to any of the tongs directly, tries to make himself kind of a peacemaker. And in part for that reason is like somewhat more accept- – like the police at least see him as like a person they can go to to like get information and things like that. And he is – they do a really interesting job with his character because on the one hand they show that he can be this like very important person who's kind of bridging the lines of respectability and legitimacy. But also like if he goes out of Chinatown into the larger world, other than the few people who specifically know who he is, he's still treated just as like one more Chinese person with all the same slurs and hatred and racism directed at him. Yeah. Yeah. But he wears a top hat. So I think people, they're like, okay, there's something this guy no but um yeah that's uh wang chow he he's um he's definitely one of my favorite characters on the show um played by hoon lee who's in um who plays a very different character in uh the the previous series by by the showrunner uh banshee okay but um yeah i think the actor is fantastic i i i think the character is is very interesting because he's at home with all of these tongs and can negotiate with all of them and does business with all of them and you know until they make that not um not a pleasant experience then you know he's got a lot of contacts he's you know he's kind of maybe the most little finger of the characters yeah i think it's very that's fair. fair um but he you know I, he also has you know more english than a lot of the characters and i think that's something that when we're um interacting with the you know the tongue characters in um and we're hearing them all speak english to each other they're speaking cantonese to one another right right um but some of the characters speak a lot more english than others and that's definitely like an asset when it comes to trying to deal with 
say cops right mm-hmm. or or whoever else and it, it it you know gives them more you know he's still treated like shit by certain people but can can get some things done that that someone else might not be able to get done right yeah like he's the one who goes to the docks to go pick up the new workers because he can talk to you know the workers but he can also talk to you know the um the billionaires who are exploiting them Although maybe right. back then they were just millionaires. So. And I think that's a very important point as well, is that knowledge of English becomes... I and mean, here we're getting more into kind of the immigration border stuff that we'll talk about in another episode. But that knowledge of English is a very, very important sort of literal gatekeeping. Yeah. You know, of Assam is, is able to... Because one of the things that happens is, like, there's no translators, you know? When... Right. If you get arrested in this criminal system, like, in San Francisco... You're just listed like the cases against, you know, the city of San Francisco versus John Chinaman, you know, and there's no attempt to like get an interpreter to like let someone tell their story or things like that. So right. the ability to speak English becomes a, you know, I think a very important thing. And, and, and so therefore like the, you know, I think it's just all sorts of interesting dynamics about who learns it, who doesn't, is it being taught, where is it being taught, you know, things like that. I, I want to keep this episode fairly short because I know you have to go, but also there's like a, so much other stuff we want to get into. This episode going to be much longer. The last big thing about um, the questions raised here, I want to ask you about is identity. You know, because I think one of the things we, as you mentioned, like literally in the first couple episodes, our hero, our, our protagonist, literally gets branded as part of the Tong that he's joined. And we see again and again that there's a sense of like, and I think especially like when Assam spends time like with the the Chinese working men that being part of one of these organizations like gives you a sense of power gives you a sense of pride gives you a sense of identity in a real way uh and that's I think a theme that we've heard many times you know Luke Cage dealt with that uh Godfather certainly does Narcos does what's your kind of take on how this question of of identity is played out in the warrior in terms of tongs and and that kind of story yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, I mean, obviously you also have the overarching idea of like, you know, racial and national and ethnic identity. But within, you know, Chinatown, being part of one of these tongs, you know, you you dress a certain way, right? And you walk down the street and people see you and they know who you are, even if they don't know you. Right. And it's it's not portrayed as being a particularly consensual part of one's identity, <laughs> right there's yeah. there's not a lot of agency in in that in general um but it it seems like it's a very sort of defining characteristic of of a person once they're brought into one of these tongs and you know to to the point where when assam is is cast out of of um his tongue like they're like you know needless to say you can't go work for anybody else um and so, you know, that, that limits his opportunities, right. but, you know, so it's not like an elective membership the the way, you know, some, some organizations might be. It's like, you're either in or you're out. And if you're out, you're really out. Right. Yeah. I think that's a good point. And it, it raises so many great questions about sort of what is the nature of identity like that. And I, you know, Assam is someone who he's not really given the choice, but there's kind of a moment of him like being like, do you really want in or not? And him having to go through this kind of initiation if he does. Right. But also clearly like there's a real like, well, your options aren't that great. Yeah. Young Jun. Uh, I'm sorry. Is it Young? Young Jun. Is it Young Jun or Young Yun? Young Jun. Like Young the Jun, the one we talked about, who's the son of the, the leader of one of the Tongs. He has, I think, also an even more interesting story in that regard because He's born into it, literally. And there's never, I think, a sense of, like, for him, I, I do think, like, his family and others would, like, be outraged if he left. But it's very clear to me that for him, the idea of leaving isn't even really a possibility, you know? And in some of the episodes where they do get to go outside of San Francisco and outside of Chinatown, he gets some moments of, like, you know, what what could life be like if I chose not to do this, if I chose to open a saloon out in Nevada, or if I chose to, you know, fall in love with this person who, um, you know, he, he, Young June's romantic relationships are a great source of uh, <laughs> interestingness and entertainment in the show. Um, Indeed. But, but I think, like, part of the point of that is that for him, it's like, oh, yeah, I could do this. The same way I might be like, oh, yeah, I could be an NBA player. Um, <laughs> it, it's a fun daydream, but it's never a serious consideration for him. Right. Yeah, I think there's this combination of, um, I mean, first of all, he, he gives a whole 
you know, spiel about how he doesn't feel like he really fits in anywhere. Right. Like he fits in with the tongue because he's like, you know, it. He's the son of the head, so it's like he fits in because it's the only place he's ever been, and and it seems like yeah, of course, right? And that's where you have to be. That's your place, but. You know, on the one hand, he really doesn't feel American because he, he doesn't speak English and he's not treated as an equal. And, and I mean, I think from a legal sense, I, I think um, he wouldn't have been treated as, as a citizen properly, right? Yeah. Um, because America has a horrible history and present. But um, he also says, like, he doesn't feel like he's Chinese because he was born in America. You know, he, right. he wasn't born in China. So he feels like not Chinese, even though the only language, you know, he speaks is is Cantonese. And um, and so I think he has this real sense of like he doesn't he 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 feels like he doesn't have an identity, I guess, outside of like like being Hopway is like his identity. That's the, the tongue. Right. That. Right. Um, like that's his that's his identity and that's what he was born into and so leaving that it's like i think then in his mind is like well what am i now you know yeah um so i think it forms even larger part of his identity and the idea of leaving seems almost unthinkable like he thinks about it but he doesn't you know he thinks about it like like how you said um yeah i think that's an important point that the this show only kind of does subtly but i've seen a number of other shows and movies do much more dramatically where it's the idea of like part of why this is so important is because, you know, when the rest of the world is telling you like you're just someone who should work on the railway, you're just a like eight million, you know, super offensive terms that get mm-hmm. used, that you're you're just John Chinaman to the legal system. You don't have any sense of identity. You don't have any sense of belonging. And that I think and that, and that it can be applied to almost any community like like that. Um that that the ability to have like this group that says, I'm important, I'm a member of this. And and people know that when they look at me and they see me um, is such, I think, an important part of, of – and I want to be careful. Like I think it's very easy to be critical of a lot of these things. And I think the show does a, a very good job, I think, of raising critical parts of it but also really showing how important that is. Like like the, the life that, that Assam gets to have compared to the, the men who are working on the railway tracks or in the factory is like it's decidedly different and much better in many yeah. ways more more dangerous in some ways right 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 um, like he might get killed by a hatchet but right and and like literally like a program is stopped because of these tongs and so mm-hmm. i think it's th- there's such an interesting thing there i think about like the, the the way it gives a sense of identity and of pride when you're in a situation where everything else around you is trying to strip that away from you yeah uh i mean it's like you you wouldn't necessarily say that these are like good choices, but at the same time, you look at the other options and you're like, they're maybe the best choices and they're clearly very understandable choices, right? right. Like, you know, it's, I don't know, to sort of like touch on, you know, the, the wire briefly, like, you know, when you grow up in a situation where, there's like one way to like get some get status and get money and then there's other ways that just aren't built for you in in any real like i don't know um equitable way uh, yeah it's like it's so much easier to like look from the outside and be like oh those are bad choices um, while really it's like, no, there's, there's something very understandable. You know, it's something I think we face on this show a lot of, to me, it's like one of the central questions behind this show of how do we judge the actions of someone in a situation that we might never be able to understand, you know? And that on the one hand, I think one of the things that I hope discussions like this can do is say, how can we apply this kind of thing to situations that maybe we can understand more, maybe that we've been in to some extent ourselves, or maybe that we you know, political issues in our world are about people in the situations and then how we judge them. But also, yeah, I think part of it is recognizing, like, there's still a very uh, specificness about the level of racism and hate and isolation that's happening in 1880s Chinatown that, yeah, I think I think on some level it's, it's hard for us to say one way or the other, like, are these choices good or not? Because it, it's such a different context. And to me, what I love about the show so much is just it just shows you that context. It doesn't sit like right. – 
at times it's frustrating, but at times I feel like I really like that they're doing this. It very clearly doesn't say, like, this is the right choice, this is the wrong choice. You know, a lot of shows can be very clear about that. And this is, it's really not. It's just saying, like, here's the stories of people in this kind of situation. Yeah, it's it's not moralistic in like, and clearly this is the hero, you know, the the right thing to do, and and clearly these things are bad. It's like you're shown things that have negative consequences and positive consequences, and some of those things have both, and some things have more one or the other, and it just kind of presents you with like just situations where it's like, yeah, well, you know, what would you do, you know, like yeah. what when you give people choices between bad options like they're gonna pick a bad option like you know what i mean like and by bad i don't mean like like a poor choice i mean you know just to briefly touch on the pandemic when things you know when it's like okay you can either not work and not have money or you can go out and and risk you know getting or spreading a pandemic you know it's like or a a virus it's like you're not giving a third like good choice. Right. Right. And if you don't give people, um, you know, judging choices that people make between difficult options and ones where it's like, none of them are just clearly like, Oh yeah, that one, definitely that one. And and when they're under duress, you know, when it's a case of like the the wrong choice is going to kill me. Right, right, right. Exactly. That's, that's just like an, an additional layer to like, yeah, you, you you just it's it's unreasonable to be moralistic about those choices, I feel. And I appreciate that this show doesn't, you know, get all preachy and stuff about it. It does show like, yeah, some people do stuff that is more fucked up than others and and some of the things I think we can look at and be like, well, that's just completely horrible. Yeah. Um but and that's more, you know, the actions of of the Irish in certain cases and um, you know, some of the things the police get into, but. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting. We haven't even talked about it, but the Irish have, have are very much a gang of the, of their own right as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's much more of the like Italian mafia style and that they do have some access to, uh, you know, the businessmen and the police and the government of the city, but it's still very much a, like, you know, there's a person who says like, you know, he literally collects protection money from mm-hmm. bars and, and businesses in his territory. And, you know, will he works like hell to protect the interests of his men, the Irish working men who are whose jobs were were lost when when they were given to the Chinese. Um, again, that that whole idea of like it's it's their jobs for someone else's jobs is is utter nonsense. But it's it's what their frame of thinking is, and he works hard to help those people get access to jobs they might otherwise not. He also beats up or even kills people who step out of line of what he thinks they should be doing. So yeah, um, and I'll say I think that that's. That's maybe the one dynamic that I want to see more of in season three, because the show is told very much from the Tong perspective, and I think rightfully so. And as a result, for the most part, the the Irish in the show are kind of mustache twirly. Um, like we are presented with where they're coming from. And I think if you focus on that, you can definitely have some sympathy for them. But to me, I mean, I think one of the most interesting stories there is that both like you know, like you said, Assam, when someone asks him about, you know, how things back in China, he says, you know, wars, famine. Why did all the Irish come over? Because of a famine, uh, the potato yeah. famine, and, and specifically mentioned, you know, and the, the English role in helping make that happen. So in a lot of ways, like you could see there's so much similarity between what the Irish and the Chinese are going through, but that there's a very distinct pecking order and like the Irish are ahead of it and that the the businessmen in town are able to keep them fighting with each other instead of unifying or having any empathy for each other. Um and, and I think that's that that's again kind of more on our immigration and, and borders and, and and things like that. But I think it's important. I'm also saying like the same gang dynamics are playing out in the Irish community, and there we're both seeing like both the the benefits and and the way it can be really problematic, and the way that it can be the desire to protect your community can also be a real like okay, so to hell with the other communities. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, first of all, workers of the world unite. That's yes. a that's a gross point blank reference, but also a reference to just political philosophy. But um, it, it, it was a saying before gross point blank. But yes, <laughs> sure, sure, it was. Hail the laborers, um, John Cusack. That's a Mark, Kashi you know, reference. <laughs> um, anybody who had that cereal is going to be psyched. Yes, but <laughs> yeah, the, I mean they're a gang, right? The Irish are another gang, and. Yeah. 
Uh, I, I would say that their leader, Leary, has a good amount of, you know, subtlety and that there are other Irish who are cops who have one of whom has is like one of the most well-developed characters, I think. Yeah. Um, all of the like random, you know, working men, like all of the other Irish who are part of the gang but aren't the gang leader, I totally agree, are just um, are mostly just kind of like fill in the blank. Um, I, I, it would be nice if, if they did a little bit more with that. Uh, and I, you know, it, I mean, it's interesting because at the, at the end, it's, it's like, there's the question about getting into politics. Right. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, they're like, well, I'm not going to get into pilot politics. I'm Irish. It's like, yeah, but you can, you know, you right. have that Avenue open to you, you know, whereas at that point in time, you know, the, the Chinese don't really. So, you know, it's, it's a unequal playing field in, you know, in, in a lot of ways, but there, there are similarities there. And, you know, so you have gang on gang violence in a, in a lot of different directions. Um, and, and it is just like, you know, Leary is trying to look out for like what he views as his people. Right. I mean, he doesn't care about the English in the city. You know, Um, he doesn't care about the Chinese. Like he doesn't care about the black people either. Right. Mm -hmm. But like he he very clearly has this just like, you know, we've been getting fucked over for a long time. So I'm going to stick up for us. And even even if it means doing some horrible things, um, like a lot of horrible things. And, you know, those things. I feel more against, I don't know how much of it's the perspective of of the show. Um, I don't know how much of it's like, if you really think about it, it's like, yeah, it's much more proactively taking violence against like individuals in a, in an unreasonable way. Um, Mm -hmm. But then there's other ways where it's like, oh, you know, the, the factory owners are exploiting laborers and yeah, you're upset because they're not paying your people instead of other people. But it's like, yeah, blowing up the factory seems like okay-ish. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a great illustration of like the the, the hierarchies of. Uh, I think it's a great illustration of the ways that that these kind of dynamics of oppression and exploitation can play out in kind of hierarchical ways, you know. And that I feel like, for me, the pain and the suffering and the grievances of the Irish community, both in terms of like, yeah, I mean. I don't think anyone's going to try and like compare, you know, 1850s Ireland and 1850s China. Like they're they're very different situations, but they both were horrific and awful. And people came to America because, like, for many, it was their only way to live. Mm-hmm. And the Irish are also still, again, treated quite. This is very much the age of like no Irish need apply. You know, people coming to California because there's gold, but there's also not a whole power structure already established that says like you know Catholics are terrible, stay out. Right. So right. you can have you're- a lot of sympathy for what they're going through. And I think it's it's the whole punching up, punching down thing. The thing that makes them villains instead of anything else is that they then take all that and take it out on the group that's even lower on that totem pole than they are. Um, and, yeah, for and, sure. And, and I think what, I like, what the show shows is that on the one hand, it's like pretty clearly like, no, that's a bad thing. And that's a different kind of thing than what the, the Tongs are doing. But also showing why, like, given the way they're being exploited by the people with the real power in town who very much want exactly the situation – um, you know, that, that, that you also have some sympathy for. It's like, okay, like, we know why you're making these terrible choices, and it's it's because you're being manipulated and exploited as well, but that also doesn't make it okay. And right. I think that's a great, like, separation between the two groups. Yeah, exactly. That, I, I think you nailed it with, like, you know, you should be punching, you should be mad, you're punching the wrong direction. Yeah. Like, you should be punching up. and But, yeah. you know, it's so much easier to punch down. Yeah, it's gravity. It is. And so I want to kind of wrap us up. Uh, there's obviously a lot more we could talk about here, but um, Paul, is there anything else you want to say as part of this conversation? Uh, no, I think, I think we got um, the, we, we got into the, the gist of this particular subtopic of warrior. Right. Yeah. I, I think you're right. There's a, that's a great place to wrap up. There's a lot more we can talk about with this show and we definitely will with, with future episodes. I hope people watch it. Um, it's on HBO max. I believe it's probably gonna come to some other things in time. A third season, I believe is coming at some point. Paul, uh, a.k.a. Zen Madman, thank you so much for being uh, part of helping get me into this show. Uh, you can find all of Paul's stuff on Zed Madman. Uh, that name is kind of where he uses all the stuff on all the different social medias and the like. And also I want to give a thanks to uh, Dave Plotkin 
who was the one who kind of first posted about this in the Stranded Panda Network. He got Paul into it. Paul got me into it. So, Dave, if you're listening to this, thank you so much. Uh, it's a great show. We'll be talking about it a lot more. And I think the Stranded Panda Network. There you can find podcasts about the MCU, about Star Trek, uh, my own Star Wars Universe podcast. We're doing episodes every week on The Bad Batch. Definitely check that out. A lot of other great things. Check it all out at strandedpanda.com. And if you want to contact me directly or give feedback to me and Paul about this show or questions you want us to discuss in the future or anything you have to say, uh, you can find us at theethicalpanda.com or just by searching for The Ethical Panda on Facebook or Twitter or emailing us at theethicalpanda at gmail.com. So I'm by myself, Paul. Thank you all so much and have a great day.